we are live. Awesome. Okay. Let's start. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for this broadcast. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us to establish your word in the midst of our lives in this wicked society that we live in with all the chaos and turmoil. Help us to establish your righteousness and your kingdom. And let there be a great harvest that will come forth through your living word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Display the intro. So today we're going to cover three different subjects that is part of each other and uh, we're going to explore that through the scriptures. The title of this message is Failure, Forgiveness and Freedom. And uh, we'll see how all three are interconnected and how we all experience that on some level or the other in our lives. So we want to go to the scriptures and see from the Word of God what God talks about when it comes to failure, when it comes to forgiveness, and the freedom that God has for us in the midst of that. So let's go to the Word of God. Okay. So we go to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Let me see. Okay, that's better. Um, before we start, I just want to share that we all at some time or some point in our lives, we suffer failure or we, we make mistakes in our lives. And as believers, as Christians, we know we disappoint God in many ways. We don't obey Him all the way. We have so many flaws. We have so many issues. Our sin always gets in the way. There's so many things that we struggle with. And God understands all of that, and He knows that we are human. We are not called to be perfect angels, and we are not called to walk in perfection. As humans, we will make mistakes, and we, we suffer the consequences of those mistakes. And what the world calls mistakes, it is just sin. It is sin in the eyes of God. And we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standards. So we feel miserable, we feel guilty, we feel condemned, we feel shame, we feel rejected. We feel abandoned, we feel isolated, we feel cut off from each other and even from God. And that's the consequence of sin, whatever that sin may be. It could be a gross sin, it could be a simple sin, it could be unforgiveness. There's so many things that we mess up in our lives and we are learning to, to uh, rectify those issues and to make our lives better. Not just for ourselves, but our families, our children, our neighbors, our society. Right now, all the chaos we see in this country is because of sin. It's the condition of sin of man that has caused this madness that is taking place with rioting and looting and just killing one another and hating the police. And there's so much going on. And then police violence and brutality, all of that, it's that society struggles with it and says, how do we deal with it? How do we uh, address it? How do we fix it? But without God and without His commandments, 
you're only going to have chaos. You're going to have confusion and conflict. And this nation has failed to acknowledge God. It has failed to recognize who God is in their lives. And they look to the government, they look to the police, they look to the laws of the land to bring order out of chaos. And sometimes it works and many times it doesn't. And now we have the end result of that, where the police have abused their powers and they've, they've literally killed people for, for even no crime committed or it's just an abuse of power. And the people are tired of it and they just, they now come to a point where they say we just abolish the police, get rid of the police altogether. And that is not a solution because then you're going to have anarchy everywhere. So that is not the solution. So people are overreacting to all the police violence and brutality, but that's really not the, the real issue. Then they say it's about race and it's about white privilege and those are all fancy terms, but end of the day, when you look at it statistically, it is incorrect, it is, it is not correct. It is, it is um, they're wrong uh, when it comes to those issues. They think that's the reason and it's not. It's partially the reason, but it's not the whole reason. The basic underlying reason is the sin of man, is the sin of society. We live in a chaotic society, a lawless society. That's why we have so many laws on the books to try to bring a lawless population under control. People don't want to take personal responsibility for their own you know, lawlessness, and then they're trying to blame the police and the government, and they're trying to act innocent and play the victim. Yeah, there have been specific people that died, and they are the real victims. But the majority of people that are running around, rioting and looting, they are not victims. They're taking advantage of these poor victims that were killed for not even doing something that is worthy of being killed for. So the Bible always brings us back to the nature of sin, and it is our failure as humanity to address that sin. And we can only do that when we bring it to God and ask for God's forgiveness. And when that does not happen, all you have left is chaos and conflict and all this craziness that we, we see around us now. And that's in the middle of a pandemic where people are dying every day. This virus is very, very dangerous and it's literally a bioweapon. It has been modified genetically to kill humans. And now we're seeing the consequence of it and it's happening globally. It's not just a local thing anymore. It's affecting every nation, every country, every government, every economy. And we are like, what is the solution? When are we gonna go back to normal? And there is no normal anymore. We have to get used to that fact that everything moving forward is gonna be very unusual and lots more events are gonna happen. A lot of you know, bad things will happen, but in the midst of it, God wants to wake us up and make us realize that the sin of humanity is catching up to them. The sin of the world is now, you know, bringing the consequences of it. Like they say, the chickens have come to roost. And it's, it's what's happening right now. The sin of humanity is coming up to the surface, is boiling up. All the hatred and all the evil of the heart is coming forth. But let's see what the Word of God says. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. God is reasoning with us, with humanity. He says through the prophet Isaiah, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, 
you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this law is an eternal law, and God says, if you're obedient and you're willing, you will eat the good of the land. This land will be blessed. You will see the abundance. You'll see the prosperity. You'll see the goodness of God through the nation, through the land, through the economy. But when you refuse and you rebel and you become lawless, then you will be devoured by the sword. And that's what's happening right now. There's death coming to every doorstep through the pandemic, through all these rioting, looting, through police brutality, however it is happening, that people are realizing, wow, God, God is not playing games. He's serious about nations that are not willing and obedient. They will suffer the consequences of it. And God has spoken this. And he says, this is the end result. If you do not acknowledge your sin and learn to be obedient to God and his word and his law, the laws of the land are established by God. The governments of nations are established by God. You can't come against governments. You can't create anarchy. You cannot create chaos and revolution. You're called to live peacefully under the leadership of your government, under the leadership of the laws of the land. But when people fight against it and rebel against it, then there's going to be war. There's going to be chaos. There's going to be conflict. There'll be blood on the streets. Isaiah 41 verse 9 you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So God is extending his hand to the people and saying, I have chosen you. You are my servant. Don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, don't be disheartened, don't be sad. Look up to me and I will lift you up, I will strengthen you, I will build your life up. But today you see the maximum amount of depression and sadness and, you know, suicides and because they have turned their back on God. They've become their own idols. They worship themselves and their needs and their wants and their lusts. And then they're depressed and they're crying and they're blaming God and saying, why isn't God giving me what I'm demanding for? That is the wrong approach. You can't go to God in that way. And that's why that's also sin. You will suffer the consequence of that by coming towards God and saying, I want what I want right now because I'm demanding it. And a lot of people like that, that's a narcissistic way of praying that I'm the center of my universe and God better give me what I want. Otherwise, I'll get mad and I'll get sad and I'll get depressed and then I'll take my life. And those people will suffer the consequences of their own sin. It's the sin of self-idolatry. It's the sin of not acknowledging their own wretchedness. It's a sin of not humbling themselves before an almighty God. God is not your servant to do whatever you want. He's not going to enable your lawlessness and say, Oh yeah, I love you so much, I'm going to let you do whatever you want. As human parents, we don't allow our children to do whatever they want. How much more our Heavenly Father? He will correct us. He will rebuke us. He will chastise us. He will discipline us. He's not just going to let us do whatever we feel like doing. The wicked, yeah, he says, go ahead, do whatever you want, and then your death will come suddenly. A lot of old grandpas, grandmas, they are dying right now. Suddenly, their death has come to their door. Their whole life, they live wickedly, and now death has come to their doorstep. And they're trying to wonder, where is God and why is God not answering my prayer? And 
You see people posting on Twitter and, please pray my grandpa is dying in the hospital. Well, grandpa never acknowledged God. Now he's got only death waiting for him, and after that is hell and damnation. Because that's the consequence of his sin, of his wickedness. This nation is destroyed because of lack of fathers. The fathers are missing. The statistics are horrible. I don't have them in front of me, but majority of families are single-parent families, and the fathers are the ones that are missing. So then the children are growing up, learning all the wrong things, and they're becoming lawless and becoming criminals. So you see so much crime on the streets now because the fathers didn't do their job. And they, those men will give a very heavy account for their lack of responsibility. And I'm sick and tired of seeing grown men crying and putting on a show like, oh, I'm the victim here and I'm the poor me. And the wife is doing this and the wife is doing that and, and blaming the children. The worst kind of father is someone who blames their child for their own garbage. I have seen that as well. They blame innocent children for their garbage. That's pure evil. That's pure wickedness. And they will suffer torment and eternal damnation for their, their lifestyle and their behavior. I've seen the worst kind of men in this country, and it's, it's disgusting to see, but it's a reality. And now the next generation of men are following after their father's examples and doing the same nonsense. And they think, oh, marriage, I'm supposed to be happy. My wife's job is to keep me happy. The role of marriage is not for happiness. It is for holiness. And in case you didn't understand the real meaning and role of marriage. In this country, it's fantasized. In this country, marriage is like a Hollywood dream. But the real purpose of marriage was to bring about holiness. That's the original intent of God, to bring a man and a woman together, not just for procreation and have children, but to bring them to their knees because of each other's flaws and issues and, and all kinds of craziness. It's to bring the husband to his knees, to bring the wife to her knees so that they would become holy. If you're not happy in your marriage, you're not happy with your wife, you're not happy with your husband, it's a good thing. It's not a negative thing. It's to force you to go on your knees and to cry out to the living God. That's the purpose of having a difficult husband or a difficult wife. is so that you can go to God and say, Lord, change me. I want my husband to change. I want my wife to change. But I want to remain the same. And I want to be evil and ugly and mean and rude and nasty. No, God says you go on your knees and you repent of your sin. And your wife will go on her knees and repent of her sin. Both parties bring sin into the equation. And it's a recipe for chaos and conflict and fights and disaster. Every marriage that comes together like that, it is not for just, oh, I want to be happy. I just want to have fun. I just want to have a good time. That's the American marriage. It doesn't work. You see it all around. Every marriage goes into divorce because their view of marriage is incorrect. Oh, if I marry that guy, if I marry that woman, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. That's not the original intent of marriage. It's to make you holy before God. It's to make you humble before God. It's to break you so that you will cry out to God. Isaiah 43:25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. 
So God is using legal terms. He says, your sin is against you. My wrath will come upon you if you do not ask me for forgiveness of your sin. I will take it out of the way. I will remove your transgressions, all your nonsense, all your crazy lifestyle. I will clean it up. But you must come and put me in remembrance. When was the last time you put God in remembrance? All you remember is your own junk, your own garbage, your own self. You remember your own face in the mirror every single day. And you don't remember Jesus. You don't remember to see the face of God. You don't have time to worship God. You don't have time to pray. You're too busy blaming everybody else, playing the victim, doing the sad story nonsense. But you are not remembering God. And then there are those people that remember their own sin. And that's all they think about night and day. My sin, my sin, my sin. They make their sin an idol. And God's saying you're putting too much emphasis and focus on yourself again. You have to look up to heaven. You have to look up to God. He's the one who changes. He's the one who transforms you. But people are self-obsessed everywhere you go now. Everyone is in their own little bubble and they only think about themselves. And then they're sad. They're depressed. They're lonely. They're crying. There's no joy in their life. And they're tormented. Many are tormented. Now demons have come to mess with you now. Why? Because you don't put God into remembrance. You're only thinking about yourself night and day. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and, in, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So what is our failure? Our failure is to not seek God. We are seeking people. We are seeking the pastor. We are seeking this one. We are seeking that one. We are chasing this one, chasing that one, trying to think, oh, this one will help me. That one will give me happiness. This one will make me feel good. Oh, I want to go hang out with my friends and my buddies and have a good time. Or go with my relatives and do a barbecue and just hang out. And It's not going to give you permanent satisfaction. You'll always be empty inside. You'll still be lonely, you'll still be sad, you'll still be depressed, you'll still be narcissistic. Nothing's going to change. For a temporary time, yeah, you'll have a good time, but that's it. You'll come right back to the same place you were before you went to that place. So God is calling out His people. He says, seek the Lord while He may be found. This is a season of grace to look for Him and find Him. There will come a time when people will look for God and they will not find Him. There will be serious times that will come upon the earth and they will be searching for God and they won't find Him. And when we find Him, what it says, let Him return to the Lord and He will have mercy on Him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. We need God's pardon. We need God's forgiveness. But only if we seek Him, we can find His pardon. Because our failures are too many. Our sins are too many. Our iniquity is too much. Our bondages are too much. We have too much baggage. Each one has to bear their own cross. Each one has to bear their own weight of their own sin. Don't blame your father, your mother, sister, brother, husband, wife, neighbor. This society again is so irresponsible. They will never take responsibility for their own garbage. Always pointing fingers at somebody else. Always blaming someone else. Always projecting blame. There are those that are sociopaths. They commit the crime and then they point fingers at other people. Like I said, there are parents like that. 
They do wickedness towards their children and then they're blaming the children for their wickedness. That's evil. If you have parents like that, really pray to God. Say, Lord, rescue me from these kind of parents. I don't want these kind of parents. Say, Father, you are my heavenly Father. You be the one to protect me and, and provide for me and take care of me. Verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We think a lot of things all day long. We're thinking this and thinking that. And God says, your ways and your thoughts are so below my standard. We must rise above our own you know, selfish thinking and twisted thinking, messed up thinking, just tormented thinking, and rise above it and say, Lord, show me your ways. Show me what you are thinking right now. My thoughts are so corrupted. My brain is so messed up. This whole nation needs a bunch of psychiatrists to get their head straight. There's so many people so twisted and messed up in their head and in their soul. That's why you need healing of your heart. You need the healing of your soul, the healing of your mind. And only God can do that. It's through the forgiveness of sin. What is the starting point? Is to acknowledge your sin. Most people don't want to acknowledge their sin. They again, like I said, they cover up their sin and act like a victim, play innocent and blaming everybody else. People are experts in the blame game. Anytime I see somebody blaming somebody else, I get upset with them. Because I say, you're more wretched than that accusation you have towards someone else. Look at yourself and see how messed up you are before you blame somebody else and play that victim nonsense. Look at yourself. Just look at yourself in the mirror. Don't delude yourself. Don't deceive your own self. Too many people walking around in self-deception. In a complete bubble of delusion. And we try to wake them up from that and say, stop it. Just stop that nonsense and just come before God honestly and say, Lord, I'm a wreck. I'm a total train wreck. Help me here. I don't want to blame anybody, but I just want to acknowledge my own sin. But what do we see today? People just don't want to talk about their sin, but they are quick to point everybody else's sin out. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's a daily walk. It's not a one-time sinner's prayer. A lot of churches get away with that, thinking, oh yeah, I prayed 10 years ago and I'm good to go. And their life is a total wreck. They're just deceiving themselves. And the consequence of that is that their children suffer, their grandchildren suffer, because they don't want to acknowledge and be transparent. That's what the Bible calls hypocrites. You know many, as I'm speaking, you're remembering this one and that one, saying, yeah, that person's a hypocrite, this one's a hypocrite. Even the pastor's a hypocrite. Of course he is. Even the pastor's a hypocrite. Why is he a hypocrite? Because he has secret sins. He has sins that he has to bring before God. We are all failures. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's an angel. Nobody's a saint. We are all wretched sinners. That's why we need Jesus. We don't need Jesus because we are perfect. We don't need Jesus because we were born angels. We have a history of wretchedness from the pastor all the way to every individual. And that's where repentance is critical. We must bring to God every thought, every comment, every issue, every attitude. I keep telling the people with me, that I tell them, look, I have serious issues. I pray just for myself, just to say, Lord, help me with my issues. Help me to deal with my 
things that I have to deal with. It's not easy. As humans, we have so much to deal with. We have so much preparation. It's a process called sanctification. God is working through that. He is healing the hearts. He's healing the souls. But we must come to Him over and over and over again, day in and day out. It's a long, drawn-out process. Every day, God will show you. The Holy Spirit will show you. He's so faithful. Every day you can ask Him and He will reveal something to you about you. Don't be concerned about this one and that one and third parties. Anytime I see people like, oh, you know what? That one is like this and this one is like that. I'm like, and what did God show you about yourself? Nothing. That's how blinded they are. They are the worst of the worst and they're trying to look at this one and that one. We all must acknowledge our sin before God and bear the iniquity before God and let the blood of Jesus cleanse us from all iniquity. We've got to pray for our own sins and the iniquities of our forefathers and fathers and our family and our bloodline. We have a serious responsibility. You can't be caught up in narcissism and self-obsession. You've got to break that bubble and say, you know what, I have a serious responsibility before God. I cannot just walk away from it. Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. When we pray to God for mercy, God is saying, do not cover your sin or you will not do well. And if you confess it and you forsake, don't confess it and then go back to the same sin. Confess it and learn to reject it. Confess your sin and say, Lord, I won't do that again. I, I do things all the time that I'm like, I regret. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to try not to do it again. It's an ongoing process. We will stumble. We will fall. We will mess up. I put my foot in my mouth all the time. I have my wife calling it out. My kids are calling it out, especially my children. I love it when they correct me. I love it. I don't reject it. I receive it. I'm like, yes, tell me. I need a reminder. I need a daily reminder. If children are telling you your faults, don't get angry at them. Don't get mad at them. They are there for that purpose. They are there to remind you how messed up you are. It says, happy is the man who is always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. God is saying, look, if your heart is hardened, you will fall into trouble. And then there's no rescue for you. But if you humble yourself, you're going to be happy. If you have reverence before God, then God will rescue you. He will show you mercy. That's the other reason when children point out your issues is to keep you humble. There's no room for pride when you are a parent. As a single person, yeah, you can have all the pride because there's nobody to call it out. As pastors, when we call it out, they hate us. You know how many people hate us? We call out adults, grown-ups, and they hate us. There are people that want to do violence to us. They want to punch us in the face. Wicked people. If they were of God, they would say, you know what, you're right. Let me acknowledge my evilness. Let me acknowledge my wickedness. But the wicked, when you point it out to them how wicked they are, they want to do violence to you. Or sometimes you may just be around wicked people and they just want to beat you up. You're like, wow, I didn't even say a word. What's up with this person? Because not just the human element anymore. They have demons inside of them. Evil spirits are occupying their body. What do you call demon possession? So if anytime you see somebody just manifest evil against you, you said nothing, you did nothing, guess what? These people are demon possessed. 
and watch out because they want to harm you. They want to do violence against you. They want to curse you. You may have a parent like that. And you always wonder, what is wrong with my parents? Why are they so evil? Because the demons inside of them are manifesting. And now you realize through the scriptures what you're dealing with. As an unbeliever, you were clueless. But when you read how Jesus cast demons out of people, you're like, oh, wow. That means the demons are real? Evil spirits are real? Yes. You think they were only there during the time of Jesus and now they've disappeared? They are there still on the earth. They are still occupying humans. They are all over the place. That's what you're seeing on the streets right now. Demon-possessed people committing violence and evil. And the police try to arrest them. They get violent with the police. They snatch the policeman's gun and they want to shoot the police. So when the police shoot them back, oh, now the police are bad. No, that violent criminal was bad and he was trying to attack the police. You don't attack a law enforcement officer and think he's just going to be feeling sorry for you. That's the reason why a lot of these people get shot. They fight back against the police and then they get shot. Yeah, many times, yeah, the police will shoot out of no reason. Because the police now, that policeman is demon-possessed. Just to kill an innocent person for no reason. So on both sides you have evil manifesting. Psalm 32 verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So whatever area of your life you're a failure, you know, man, I failed badly. I'm still failing right now in this area. All you do is acknowledge it. Don't tell it to people, oh, I'll get embarrassed if I say it to this one or that one. You don't need to confess it to anybody. Just go to God and say, Lord, I'm just acknowledging this to you. You in your prayer closet, you're looking up at your clothes, you're speaking into the clothes, thinking, is God even listening? Am I even making any sense? Is this a waste of time? A lot of people give up because they realize, you know what, maybe God's not listening, so why am I even in my prayer closet? Why am I even praying? But to those who realize, yeah, God is all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He is the I am that I am. He's always with us. All you have to do is acknowledge Verbally, silently, in your heart, in your mind, just speaking it out is much easier. That's why God says, go into your prayer closet and privately just share everything. Share your heart to God. And then He rewards you openly. So the psalmist in 32, verse 30, uh, chapter 32, verse 5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you. He didn't go with a list of, Lord, this one did this to me, and that one did that to me, and this one harmed me, and this one hurt me, and this one injured me. And No. He said, acknowledge my sin. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. But I did nothing wrong. I'm a good person. I have not harmed anybody. Yeah, you turned your back on God. You did not acknowledge Him. That is your transgression. Every day you do that. And you don't even realize it. God is ever present. And you ignore Him all day long. You're chasing after wicked people and wasting your time and effort and energy on human beings. Wicked human beings. But you have no time for God. That's your biggest transgression. Or you're just self-obsessing. Me, 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 me. And then what? You have ignored God and His presence. 
You've ignored the Holy Spirit. You've grieved the Holy Spirit. You haven't even taken the name of Jesus even once all day long. Yeah, but you want to call this one and that one and talk to this one for hours and hours and gossip and chat, chat, chat. But what? You don't want to talk to God for five minutes? That's your biggest transgression. And it's against God. Every sin we commit is against God and His presence. We must realize that. Our sin is towards one another, towards people, towards society. Those are general sins. But our biggest sins are towards God. That is our transgression. When Jesus comes back, He will look at the sinners that transgressed against Him, against His name, against His presence, against His commandments. Your, your beef is with God. Your fight is with God. God is your biggest contender. You think, oh, my mother or my father or my brother or my sister is my biggest enemy. No, God is your biggest enemy. If you sinned against Him, He will come and He will destroy you. But if you humble yourself, you acknowledge your sin and say, Lord, forgive me, then the wrath of God is taken away. It's through His Son, Jesus Christ. But if you do not acknowledge His Son, you don't acknowledge the cross, you don't say, Lord, You are the one for me. There's nobody else. Then He comes and He shows you mercy. He forgives your sins, your transgressions, your iniquities. And He embraces you and He receives you as a son, as a daughter. But you cannot hide it. Don't hide your sin. Don't hide your iniquity. Don't, you know, don't say, I will not confess my sin because nobody knows. It doesn't matter if anybody knows. God knows. All you have to do is acknowledge it to Him. We call people and cry to them and tell them our sad stories and confess everything to them and all the details right from childhood all the way to adulthood. Take two hours describing our tragic life. Well, do that to God. God knows it and He will rescue you out of it. He will turn your life around. He will transform your life in the midst of crazy times, in the midst of disaster, in the midst of catastrophes, in the midst of sickness and, and death. God's presence comes to change your life because you will humble yourself and you acknowledge your sin and say, I failed miserably. I am wrong before Almighty God. My sin put Jesus on the cross. My iniquities made the Son of God die on the cross. It has to be a personal thing. Verse 6, For this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. That's amazing. When we are in trouble, he comes and becomes our hiding place. He preserves us from trouble. He surrounds us with songs of deliverance. There's a pandemic going around. People are dying left, right, and center. And God says, I will protect you. I will protect your family. I will surround you with my presence. That's what we need right now. We don't need drama. We don't need blame games and all this narcissism. We don't need it. This is not the time for that. People need to wake up. Time is up to stop playing those games. I don't know when people will stop. They just think they can just keep going and going and going. Please keep doing that drama, that nonsense, and get away with it. That time is up. You can't get away with it anymore. 
You've been fully exposed, fully brought to the light. Now it's time for you to start acknowledging and say, I'm sorry. I messed up. I'm wrong. Forgive me, Lord. And then go to your brother, go to your sister, go to your parents, even wicked parents. Say, forgive me. Yeah, I know you all are wicked and nasty, whatever, but I'm sorry for my response to your nonsense, for my reaction to you, for my anger towards you, my unforgiveness towards you, my resentment and bitterness towards you. How many children have resentment and bitterness towards their fathers and their mothers? That's iniquity. That is sin. That is transgression. Well, you say, Dad, David, you don't understand what they did to me. Yes, whatever they did to you. That's why you need the grace of God. You need the healing grace of God. That's why you need your heart to be cleansed. All that bitterness, all that anger, all that, you know, hatred and evil that's in your heart. It's worse than your wicked parents. Psalm 86, verse 3. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. That should be your daily, you know, activity. Crying to God, Lord, help me, Lord. Be merciful to me. I know I'm a mess. I know I'm a failure. I know I've ruined everything. I know I made mistakes. I know it's damaged situations and ruined things. And But help me, Lord. Be merciful. I need mercy, Lord. Verse 4. Rejoice the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. The psalmist understood, my soul is a wreck. I need to lift it up to God. I can't just, you know, go to this one and run to that one and, oh, please do something for my soul. There are people that come running to you, all codependent. Oh, without you and you're not paying attention to me and you're neglecting me and you, you, you're not giving me time and all that time is over. Stop being a little baby and start saying, I need to lift up my soul to God. I'm chasing this one and that one for emotional fulfillment. It's not going to come from this one or that one. Or my husband doesn't fulfill me or my wife doesn't fulfill me or my children don't respect me or honor me or this or that. Lift up your soul to God. Verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. God doesn't play favorites. Anyone that calls upon God, He is merciful, abundant in mercy. But we don't want to go to God. We're chasing down people and blaming people. Oh, you, you're not giving me attention and you're not doing this for me or not doing that for me. And it's an emotional blackmail. Parents do it to children. Husbands do it to wives. Wives do it to husbands. Boyfriend and girlfriend do it to each other. Oh, you're neglecting me. Oh, you don't love me. Accusation upon accusation. Why? Because you're emotionally bankrupt and you're trying to suck the life of somebody else. You will not be able to do that. You're not a vacuum cleaner. You need that sustenance. You need that nourishment from God. It doesn't come from another human being. If you don't have a, a living relationship with Jesus Christ, you will always be bankrupt. Always. You'll always be depressed. You'll always be miserable. You'll always be lonely. You need that living interaction with Jesus. Then you'll be satisfied, then you'll be strong, then you'll be faithful, then you'll be full of joy because you have a living, walking relationship with the Savior. Every day you lift up your soul to God. Every day you worship Him. Every day you cry out to Him. Every day you pray to Him. And He responds. He answers. He speaks to you. He feeds your soul. This country is full of codependency. Hanging on to this one, hanging on to that one trying to 
hold on to somebody because oh without you i cannot live oh without you i'll die their relationships are like that and it's horrible to have emotionally bankrupt people around you you need healthy people to have a happy life and you can only be spiritually healthy if you have a strong relationship with the savior verse 6 give your o lord to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications in the day of my trouble i will call upon you for you will answer me any time you're in trouble every time you're in a situation call upon god in this country the first thing is oh, i'm going to call my attorney and i'm going to tell my attorney they try to use the law against you or when they're in trouble i need my attorney because the attorney is going to help me you know the holy spirit is called the advocate he is an attorney he works on your case he helps you to navigate through a difficult time and difficult situation your best attorney is the holy spirit learn that you will not know that unless you read the bible jesus called the holy spirit the advocate or another word is attorney or lawyer your best lawyer your best advocate your best attorney is the holy spirit call him and say i'm in trouble help me holy spirit i've failed i've messed up i made wrong decisions i made bad decisions other people got affected now they are mad at me okay lord help me rescue me navigate me through this ugly situation we failed many of us have failed we take chances we take risks we make mistakes and we mess up and we feel like a failure and god says yeah i understand you're just trying to live your life it's a difficult life to live but god will help us to navigate through it psalm 145:14 the lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down sometimes god has to call you into your prayer closet and says go and bow down before me you want me to lift you up you want me to rescue you go on your knees and bow down to me we must go before god every day and bow down before him every day on our knees and then see how god lifts us up he not just lifts us up he upholds us we walk and we fall down and then he lifts us up as a good father as a good parent when my son is running around if he falls down i lift him up if my daughter slips and falls we go and pick her up that's a role of a parent they want our help we stretch out our hand and we say hey come on lift you up we make mistakes we fall down we have accidents god knows all of that daniel chapter 9 verse 8 o lord to us belongs shame of face to our kings our princes and our fathers because we have sinned against you so our failures are not just our own but it's our kings our princes our fathers people in authority people in power they have sinned against god the president has sinned the governors have sinned the rulers have sinned the mayors have sinned we live in a sinful world they don't acknowledge their sin so daniel here is standing in the gap he's interceding for his nation for his people for his rulers and saying lord we have sinned against you you're in a nation where people sin all the time corrupt leaders corrupted to the core our job is to stand in the gap and say lord our leaders are corrupt they have sinned against you they have passed wrong laws they have done wrong things 
They have robbed the poor and given all the money to the rich. This recent bailout, what did they do? They sent you a $1,000 check and the rest of the big chunk of money went to the rich. Trillions of dollars went to the super rich. And all you got was pocket change. That is a sin. They have robbed money from the poor. They robbed from future generations. $7 trillion is a lot of money. It's fake money. It's just printed money. It has no value. It's going to lead to super inflation. And end of the day, it's going to collapse the American economy and that's going to affect the economies of the world. And then it's going to prepare for the way for the Antichrist. This last bailout is one of the biggest straws on the camel's back or the donkey's back. It's going to break the back of the donkey. This nation is going to break because of such a big burden of debt. Seven trillion dollars on top of 25 trillion dollars of national debt. This nation cannot survive that much debt. And Daniel is crying to God, says, Lord, our leaders have sinned against you. This bailout is a sin against God and against the people. Verse 9, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he has set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. The whole nation had committed transgressions against God and all the curses were going to come upon the nation of Israel. Today, this nation will come under the curse because of all its transgressions. We're living in Babylon here. There's, no, there's none righteous. The church is not righteous anymore. It's corrupted. The church is infected and contaminated. The church of, and the body of Christ here is cancerous because of prosperity preaching and false preaching and Gnosticism and New Age teaching that has come into the church and false prophets running around, false apostles running around, just taking glory to themselves. It has corrupted the church. People like Rick Warren and so many of these people, they have ruined the body of Christ, not just here but across the world. They've exported their garbage to other nations and corrupted the churches in other nations. The level of deception is high in the church. Micah chapter 7 verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's God's grace right now. In spite of all the transgressions, all the iniquities, all of that, even though he's angry with us, he still delights in mercy. His mercy is greater than his anger. His compassion is greater than his judgment. And he wants to give it to us. He wants to take our sins and throw it into the depths of the sea. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. He is the way. No other religion will bring you this mercy. No other religion. No religion offers you forgiveness of sin. Religion itself is a curse. You may have never heard that before. Religion is a curse on humanity. Relationship with God 
is the real deal. Any religion that so-called major religions, I came out of a major religion. I was a Muslim for a long time. Religion is a death sentence on you. It's the wrath of God on you. Buddhism, Hinduism, even atheism is a religion. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This is the approach when you pray. You don't pray, Lord, give me what I want right now, others I'm upset or I'm sad. That's not how you pray. A lot of people pray in the wrong way. They're demanding what they want and then they cry when they don't get it or they don't get it in the timing that they ask for it. And now they're all mad at me, at the pastor. They're mad at God. They're mad at everybody. That is an arrogant way to approach the throne of God. That's pride. And that's a stench in God's nostril. He will crush you for that. Don't think you're going to receive anything good from God. You will get the judgment of God if you come to God in that manner. But Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. If you're a true follower of Jesus, if you're a true disciple of Jesus, there are many followers. They follow at a distance, but they don't come near to God and they don't obey God. They say, oh yeah, I follow Jesus once a year. I follow Jesus once a month I go to church. Once a year I pray. Once a year I celebrate Christmas. Yeah, those followers will not make it. God is looking for serious, radical disciples. And he taught his disciples how to pray. Verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God is able to deliver you from evil. But we have to pray for that deliverance. Sovereign deliverance. You don't need no one to lay hands on you and all you do is acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your iniquity, confess, I failed, I messed up, I ruined my life. And God says, I will rescue you. I will deliver you. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You must give all the power and all the glory to God. Don't take glory to yourself. Don't be, oh, I'm powerful and I'm this and I'm that. Don't take attention to yourself. Don't be a narcissist before God. He will destroy you for your wickedness. I have to keep repeating myself because there's too many narcissists out there. They think the whole world is their oyster and their bubble, and if they don't get what they want, then, oh, they're mad at the world. Well, God is more mad at you than you are at everybody else, and you will suffer the consequences of your garbage. Verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus is making it very clear. You have something against somebody, forgive that person. That's your first step. Don't blame this one or that one. Whoever did whatever, your starting point in your prayer life is to say, Lord, I forgive this person. Give me the grace to forgive this one. Give me the grace. You need grace. It's not humanly possible to forgive anybody. Because you want to hold the grudge, you want to remain mad, you want to be unforgiving, you want to be bitter, you want to be resentful. All of that is your human nature. That's your transgression before God. That's your failure as a human. People like that come to us and say, I'm, I'm a good person. I didn't harm nobody. And their heart is corrupted and wicked to the core. They're only fooling themselves. Matthew eleven twenty five, 25. 
At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So again, it's predestination. God chooses to whom he reveals himself. If God revealed himself to you and you know Jesus the Son, you're saved. That's the biggest gift of God to you. Don't uh, question your salvation. Don't question the assurance of your faith. Just stand in your full confidence knowing that God revealed himself to me through his word, through the preaching of the word. I have come to know Jesus, the Son of God. I acknowledge him as my Lord and my Savior. That's your assurance. Don't feel nervous. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel like, oh, maybe I'm not saved. Oh, maybe I'm not sure I'm saved. There are people going to self-doubt. And the enemy comes and messes with your head and makes you believe, yeah, you're not saved. Look at you. Look at your mess. Look at your failure. Look at all your garbage life. In the midst of that, you cry out to God. In the midst of that, you acknowledge God. Don't listen to the devil. Don't make your devil believe you that you're not saved. Salvation is of God. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. For sure, I didn't deserve it. I was, at my most wretched moment, God came to rescue me. At my worst, at my most worst level of my humanity, the Lord came to rescue me. And I'm sure it happened to you as well. Now acknowledge that moment and say, that is the point of my salvation and there's nothing I can do about it. God saved me. I didn't save myself. It's Jesus who came and rescued me. Don't let anybody come and question your salvation. Don't. Verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're tormented, you're troubled, you're sad, you're depressed, you're this, you're that, just come. You're heavy with all of that burden. Just come. The Lord is inviting you. He's not rejecting you. He's not condemning you. He's not blaming you. He's not saying, Yo, you're a bad person. Don't come near. I'm holy and you're not holy. He says, come with your wretchedness. It's my blood that takes care of it. It's my sacrifice on the cross my Father acknowledges. You just bring your junk. You just bring your garbage. You just bring all your wickedness to me. I will clean it up. Only God has the power to cleanse your sin of unrighteousness, to cleanse your body of sin. Nobody else has that power. Nobody. No priest, no Catholic church, no pope, no saint, no Mary. Nobody in heaven has the power to do it. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, I will give you rest. Come to me, I will give it to you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you're troubled in your soul, you're a mess, you're a wreck, you feel like a failure, you say, yes, Lord, I can't get out of this mess, what do I do? He says, come. Come gentle, come lowly, humble yourself. I will give you rest, rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You got pastors in this country committing suicide. What happened? They didn't read this passage of scripture. They didn't come to the living Jesus. Maybe they were not saved. That's why they killed themselves. The one who commits suicide is for sure not saved because they don't have a living hope. 
But when you know, you know what? I have seen the hand of God. I have seen the goodness of God. I have seen the evidence of my faith. I have seen God answer my prayers. That's your assurance right there. That's your evidence right there. Don't let nobody question it. Don't let nobody accuse you or make you doubt your faith or doubt your salvation or doubt your walk with God. Yeah, it's up and down. Yeah, it's a roller coaster. Yeah, it's a mess right now. But God sees the finished product. He doesn't see you as you are right now. And whatever he sees, he says, let me clean it up. Just come to me. I will fix it. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So Jesus setting a very high standard. But why would God ask you to do that? Because he forgave you 70 times seven. Think of it, just in the last six months, God forgave you at least a thousand transgressions. You don't even realize it. Every single day you commit sin, every single day you mess up, every single day you have bad thoughts, every single day you're cursing somebody, every single day you hate somebody, every single day there's something in your life. You know it, I know it, because I am like that. Every day my flaws are evident, my flaws are right in the open. I don't try to hide it. I'm very blatant about it. I'm in a way offensive about it. Not many people can handle me. But at least I'm honest. I don't hide anything. And I know God has forgiven me 70 times 7. So when somebody does me harm, I have to forgive. I have no choice. I have to. I may get mad and upset at the person, but I still have to forgive. It's a hard call, but it's a demand. It's a commandment of God. We can't turn around and say, no, I'm going to hold unforgiveness. No, I'm going to be mad at this person. No, I'm going to... No, then God will not forgive you. If you don't forgive somebody else, you will not receive forgiveness. You want your torment to go away. You want your sadness to go away. You want all that ugly thoughts to go away. You want all the nightmares to go away. Forgive. I'm giving you a secret here. It's a revelation. It's a simple revelation. But it's the path to freedom. And we're getting to the freedom part. We're establishing a principle here. If you acknowledge your sin, if you repent, if you say, Lord, forgive me, and now you start to forgive others, you will be set free. You will be delivered. You will be rescued. You will be healed. You will be blessed. Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is a symbolic act. Verse 27, Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So how do you get rid of your sins? By just crying and being sad and depressed and miserable? No. You come, you partake in the Lord's Supper, you acknowledge the cross, you acknowledge the sacrifice of Jesus and His body and His blood, for the remission of my sins. I can't fix my sin issue. I can't fix my mess. I can't fix my failures. But I have to come under the blood of Jesus. And it takes away my sins. It takes away my iniquity. It takes away. That's your faith. That's your belief. That's your assurance. That's your confidence. That's true salvation. That is the Christian faith. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. When have you heard that the last time? Which church did you go to when they told you that? Which mega preacher on the TV told you that? 
They don't tell you that. Mark 11:25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now think back. Who I have something against? Who do I hate? Do I, who do I have anger towards? I must forgive them. I must. Even if the, personally, directly, you cannot. In your heart, in your soul, in your mind, in your emotions, in your time of prayer, you release that person. Right now, remembering some people's faces. I have a few people that I have a hard time forgiving. But I have to forgive. I have to. Because in my, my normal nature, I want to punch that person in the face. But we have to forgive. We have to release forgiveness. If I don't, I will not be forgiven. Because if I pray and say, Lord, forgive me, I did this, I did that, and he'll remind me, yeah, but you didn't forgive this one, you didn't forgive that one, I will not forgive you, go and forgive that person first. Okay, Lord. That's how it works. You will not receive forgiveness of sin, you will not receive the forgiveness of God, you will not receive the mercy of God, or the deliverance, or the blessing, or whatever it is that you're looking to God for, unless you forgive. You must forgive from your heart, not just with your mind and words, with lip service, with all of your heart. It's a very difficult thing to do, but God requires that from us. Luke 17, 3, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So yeah, there has a room where you have to correct somebody. You have to confront somebody's nonsense. You don't just take the abuse and say, oh, I'm, they are hurting me and cursing me and mocking me and insulting me and I'm just going to take it. No, you rebuke that person. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So here you see a standard being laid by Jesus. If they return and say, I repent, you forgive. We are doing an extra service to people. They harm us, they curse us, but they don't repent. They don't come back to us and say, you know what, I'm sorry. But we still forgive them. You see how that works? People come and hurt us. People come and backstab us. People come and gossip about us. People say all kinds of negative junk and accusations, allegations, all these kind of things, and they never repent. They just keep doing it over and over and over again. They don't ask for forgiveness. But I've seen, especially my wife, she has forgiven her enemies. She has forgiven those who hurt her. They've cursed her and abused her, never asked for repentance, never asked for forgiveness. Wicked people in her life that have hurt her constantly and not once have they come to her and said, you know what, I'm sorry. And she has still forgiven them. That is true grace. That is the true love of God. It takes the love of God to do that. It's a supernatural love to bless your enemies, to love your enemies, to do favors for your enemies, the ones who use you, abuse you, molest you, harm you, hurt you, and never ask for forgiveness. I'm an eyewitness. I can stand as a witness. I can name names. But again, oh, you don't want to embarrass people by calling out their names. Why not? I just, I've, I'm restrained by God's grace and my, my family. My family tells me, hey, take it easy, don't do it. So because of them, in the past, I would call out these people publicly in my meetings and tell them, you are a hypocrite, you are a piece of garbage, get out of here. I don't do that anymore. 
These are people that have harmed other people and have not asked for forgiveness. They've not repented and they come into your face and they make demands. That's the level of, of obnoxious people that we come across day in and day out. This valley is full of them. This is the most wicked place I've come in the world. I've never seen so many wicked, nasty people ever. Even within families, hurting one another, cursing one another, not repenting, not asking for forgiveness, and then just continuing the abuse. Night and day, night and day, night, never stopping. It's like, what will happen to this person on the Day of Judgment? So out of, you know, feeling sorry for that person, we say, you know what, we release this person. They're so blinded by their own pride and arrogance, they can't even see how wicked and nasty they are. And I've watched my wife over and over, over a decade, a decade, 10 years of seeing her do it. Forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and loving on them. Not just hating, forgiving and hating on them. No. Going out of her way to love them and bless them and sacrificially give and spend her time and effort and energy towards these people with nothing in return, with no reward. She's not doing it for a reward, but these people are so pathetic. They've used and abused her for so long without even lifting a finger to ask her how she's doing or what she needs. Never. The most corrupted, bankrupted individuals that I have seen. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. As parents, I've shared this before, when you acknowledge your sin and you repent, God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit, and not just to you, but to your children. What an amazing blessing. Your children will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because you are honest, you are transparent, and you acknowledge your sin before God. And you say, Lord, forgive me, I repent of it. I turn away from my sin. And what is God's response? Not condemnation and guilt and wrath and judgment. He says, here, I will give you the gift of my Holy Spirit. And not just to you, to your children. We always remember our children when we pray. Because we want our children to be covered with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. To learn the voice of the Holy Spirit. So we have to repent. We have to confess our sins. We have to come before God. Night and day. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Acts chapter 3 verse 19. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You want to be refreshed in God's presence, in His power? Repent. Change your lifestyle. Change. Be converted that your sins may be blotted out. God rid of. And that He may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. God says, I will not just forgive your sins, I will send Jesus, my son, to you. You can have an encounter with the living God because you ask God's forgiveness. You humble yourself. You said, I'm a failure, I messed up. And God comes to strengthen you, to lift you up, and to build your life all over again. Acts 13, 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified. 
All you have to do is believe on the Son and you are justified in the eyes of the Father. From all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The Jewish people till today practice the law of Moses thinking they are justified in God's eyes. They think they are pleasing Jehovah by keeping the law of Moses and they are justified before God. Oh, I keep the Sabbath and I do this and I do that and da da da. And they are not justified. It's only believing in Jesus the Savior, the Son of God, that you are justified before Jehovah, not the law of Moses. Acts chapter 17 verse 30. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. The times when you thought, oh, you know what? I was ignorant. I didn't know better. Yeah, all those times God has overlooked that. Now he commands all men, not some men, but all men everywhere to repent. That's our job as preachers. We go everywhere. We look at a man, any man, I don't care how good looking and how well dressed or how well spoken. Repent, buddy. That's the first word we tell anybody. They come trying to be smooth talkers and smooth tongue, especially those kind of people. Always giving compliments and trying to flatter. And these are the worst comebacks. Look out for people like that. They come to you with compliments and sweet words and always trying to flatter and this and that. Those are snakes. Those are double-tongued, forked tongue. That's what a serpent has, a forked tongue. These are messengers of Satan. Verse 31. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So be assured that there's a day of judgment coming. It's coming through the Son, Jesus Christ. It has been ordained of God. And the whole world will be judged in righteousness. God is preparing his body, his bride, in righteousness. And the Antichrist spirit is preparing the world in lawlessness. And they are being prepared for the day of judgment. We are being prepared for the day of his return and for the rapture of the church. There's two preparations happening simultaneously on this earth right now. Lawlessness and righteousness. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are being prepared for righteousness. Those who are being led by the Antichrist Spirit are being prepared for lawlessness. That line is very distinct now. There's no mixture anymore. The goats and the sheep are being separated. We can see that now. It's unbearable to be around goats. It's unbearable to be around wicked people. It's unbearable to be around lawless people. And for lawless people, it's unbearable for them to be with us. That's when you know they are, they are not sheep, they are goats. Anyone that says, oh, you know what, I can't hang around with you. Oh, I feel very uncomfortable. You feel uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your wretchedness. But they are very comfortable with wicked people. They are hanging around with pigs and, you know, nasty scumbags. That's how you know you're, you're part of the lawlessness. You're not part of the church of God. When you are comfortable with lawless people, you are comfortable with wicked people, you are comfortable with nasty scumbags, you are part of the lawlessness that's happening on this earth right now. You are part of the sons of disobedience, the sons of lawlessness. If you are around those kind of people, you are part of that problem. But when you are around righteousness, when you are around the presence of God, and you are humble and you are glorifying God in your life, you are being prepared for His return. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Just think about that for a moment. Meditate on that. Which part do you, which 
side are you on? You can't have one leg here, one leg there anymore. You can't play church and then go back into the world and be comfortable in the world. We have people like that all the time. We come across like, really? You think you're going to just be lukewarm and just play games and think that you, you're going to be okay when the Lord returns? He's coming as righteous king. He's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. It's a great and awesome day. The day of the Lord is a tremendously scary day. It's a wretched day for the wicked. It's a terrifying day for the lawless people. It's a glorious day for the ones who are saved and who are walking in obedience to God. But to the majority of the wicked that is on this earth right now, they will suffer the consequence of their lawlessness. There is no escape for wickedness. Romans 3.22 Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So our righteousness comes because we have fallen short of God's glory. But it's through our faith in Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus, through our walk in obedience to His commandments, that we are justified before God. We are redeemed through Jesus. And He knows who you are. He knows His own. He knows you name by name. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. God is calling us to be holy and blameless. He's coming for a bride that's holy and blameless not full of anger and hate and viciousness and violence and chaos and conflict and politics and nonsense. No. He's having predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. We have been chosen for His will, not for our own will and our own narcissism. This life is not just about you and your own little bubble and your little tiny little lifestyle. It's far greater than that. It's for Jesus Christ Himself. You belong to Him if you truly belong to Him, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Praise belongs to God. Praise and glory belongs to Him, to His grace. Don't ever give praise and glory to man. Don't ever exalt human beings in front of yourself. Always bring human beings down to the knees. That's your role. Don't try to pump up individuals and say, Oh, this one. Oh, look at this one. Oh, look at that one. No, don't idolize man. Your praise and glory belongs only to Jesus Christ, to no one else, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. What is the wisdom of God? That when we glorify Him, when we give Him the, the glory, then He makes all of this abound towards us, we are forgiven for all our sins, forgiveness of sins, and it's according to the riches of His grace. He makes it available to us. But it comes to those who glorify God all the time. If you give glory to God and you worship God and you praise God, you have no time to look at this one or that one or 
complain about this one or that one because your, your, your obsession is with Jesus. You don't have time for X, Y, and Z. But these people come demanding your time and demanding your attention, demanding, demanding. Why? Because they want to be God over your life. They want to be ruling over you. They want to make demands on you and they think it's justified. These are delusional people that you have around you. Tell them to get lost and tell them to go on their knees and tell them to cry out to the living God. The time has run out. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This tender-heartedness and loving and forgiving is towards one another. It's not for goats and, and lawless people. Lawless people and goats are to be rebuked and chastised and disciplined and told off. Because all they come to do is rob your peace and rob your joy and rob your life. You're not to be tender-hearted towards wicked people or forgiving and being kind to these people. No. They are not being kind to you. The Bible says, yeah, if they come back and repent and ask for forgiveness, yeah, then you forgive them, then you be kind to them, then you be good to them. But if they keep coming to be abusive, get rid of them. Because your fellowship is not with darkness. Your fellowship is not with the wicked. Your fellowship is with one another. Colossians 1.13 He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So when God took you out of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of His Son, don't go back to darkness. Don't hang around with people in darkness. They want you to come into their darkness. Say, oh, come, come. No. And they'll always offer food or something to, to invite you into their darkness. Don't step into their darkness. You have already been delivered from the power of darkness. Don't go back to darkness. Verse 14, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So when God has called you out, He's forgiving your sins. He's redeeming you through His blood. Don't go back to the power of darkness. We keep warning people, don't go back to your old ways. Don't go back to your old friends and buddies and wicked people that you think, I can just hang out and I'm fine because I'm under the blood of Jesus. No, He's called you out. Why are you going back? Then you're being lawless. Then you're being rebellious and disobedient to God's commandments. Why? Because, oh, that's my buddy. Oh, that's my friend. I can't, I can't make his feelings hurt. Then his feelings are greater than God then. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. This is for the church. This is for the body of Christ. This is for brethren, for brothers and sisters in Christ. Not for lawless ones, not for wicked ones, not for obnoxious ones, not for narcissists. Because narcissists don't give a damn about anybody except themselves. But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all... In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
That's how you know when somebody's a believer. They're always thanking God. They are, have spiritual songs. They're singing with grace. They have this amazing gratitude towards God. When they have no gratitude, they're ungrateful, and that's when you know they're wicked. Ungrateful people are not in the, in the presence of God. You cannot come in the presence of God ungrateful. When you come into God's presence, you will be grateful. You will acknowledge who He is and what He has done for you. But today's times, you're surrounded by people that are ungrateful. It's disgusting to see. It's horrible to see that they have been blessed with so much and they're still ungrateful. We teach our children, don't look at people around you and follow their ugly examples. They're ungrateful, wretched people. Their life is full of stuff and they're still ungrateful. They have all the blessings possible and they're still ungrateful. Wretched people, wicked people. And we tell our children, do not look at them as an example. They are the worst example possible. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over, you, over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So there's a forgiveness of sin even as the elders coming together and praying over somebody. If you're sick in your body, you'll be healed. If you have sins in your life, they will be forgiven. That's amazing. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's amazing. God says, now pray for one another and forgive one another your trespasses and God will heal you and he will deliver you. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When you are in the right place with God, your prayers are effective and it avails a lot. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the power of the church. When we walk in fellowship with one another, when we walk in forgiveness with one another, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's amazing. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the power of forgiveness. It sets you free. There's freedom on the other side. If you're in bondage, if you're a mess, if you're a wreck, if you're all tangled up, entangled in sin and messed up, God says, I will cleanse you. I will forgive your sins. Of all unrighteousness, all of it. He's not saying only some of it, all of it. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. These are the self-righteous people walking around. I have not done nothing wrong then you're calling Jesus a liar. And these are the people we rebuke to their faces. We say, just get out. Don't call Jesus a liar. You are the liar. By saying, oh, I'm a good person and I did nothing wrong. I have not harmed anybody. But look, everybody else has done me wrong. That's a hypocrite and that's a liar. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 1 John 2, 1. 
My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The Lord Jesus is our advocate before the Father. So we should not sin. If we sin, we come to God and say, Lord, forgive us. Be our advocate before the Father, before the throne of God. And verse 2 says what? And he himself is the propitiation for our sins or the payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Wow. God paid the price of all our sins, the sins of humanity, of the whole world, through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the payment for the sins of the world. 2 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. This is what happens when you repent, when you confess that you're a failure and you messed up and you ruined your life and all of that. God renews you from the inside. Your outside may look like a mess, but the inside is being renewed by God supernaturally, by faith in Christ, through the blood of Jesus. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. All this struggle and all this suffering and this persecution and this misery and all of that is working your character. It's transforming you from the inside out. It's a process we all go through. It's a trial by fire. We've been tested in the fire. And in that fiery trial, we say, Lord, we come to you. We trust you. Yeah, right now, my life is a mess. But in this fiery trial, I will trust in you. You may be going through that right now and saying, is there a way out? Yes, God has a way out for you. It may look impossible, but he is the expert in the impossible. He does what we cannot do. That's why he's almighty God. And he is the savior. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So all that's going on in your life right now, all that's around you, that's temporary. It'll pass away, it'll go away. But what is not seen, what is invisible, what is supernatural, that is eternal. That is forever. So start looking and thinking in a whole different way. Don't just look at your outward appearance and this and that and what's going on around me and these little things that you get caught up with and the petty stuff. So many people around you are so petty-minded. Little things, they're like, oh, this and oh, oh. Worried about little, little, tiny little things. And God is saying, don't look at the petty stuff. That's all temporary. It's going to go away. Rise above that. Look into the supernatural. Look into the face of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we accept Christ, when we get baptized and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, now we are a new creation. Brand new. All the old things are gone. Don't think about the old things. Don't think about the past. Unless you have some repentance to do. Yeah. Unless you have some reconciliation to do. Yes. Go and get all those things out of the way then you are a new creation, regenerated by the Spirit of God. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You may think like, I'm struggling in my walk, and I'm struggling in my obedience, I'm struggling in my faith, and I'm struggling here, I'm struggling, struggling, and I'm failing, I'm failing miserably, and oh, I feel bad, I feel this, I... God has started the work. Be confident that he will finish the work. 
If he began a good work in you, he will complete it. So stay in the middle of that. Yeah, Lord, you started the work. You're going to finish it. I'm going to trust you till the day you return. So have that confidence in you that it's not just all about you and your struggle with obedience and this and that. Yeah, we all struggle. But in the midst of that, look up and say, Lord, you started this work in me, inside of me, and you will complete it. And when you return, I will be a completed, finished product standing before you righteous, completely sanctified for you. Philippians 4.11 Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul is saying in whatever state I am, it doesn't matter. I don't have to be on the top of the mountain all the time. In this country, they glorify that. If you're in the valley or you're climbing up the mountain, nobody likes the process. Like, oh, why am I not on top of the mountain? Why am I not already a millionaire? Why, why is it that I don't have a private jet? Why is it that I don't have my big mansion already? Everybody wants to be on top of the mountain. But Paul is saying here, what, in whatever state I am, whatever, I am content. I'm happy to be where I am because if I'm hungry, if I'm full, if I'm suffering, if I'm happy, all things, I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me. The process and the journey is more important to God than your victory and your financial blessing and your great whatever desire of your heart. Yeah, you'll get there eventually. It's a journey. That journey is more precious to God. Walk the walk. It's a daily walk. God is testing your heart. He's testing your walk. He's testing your life. Yeah, you will fail. You will pass. You will fail. You will pass. It's an up and down process. It's a roller coaster ride. But in the day, you will get to the top of your mountain. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is a race. We are all running a race. And we have a surrounded by a wit, wit, cloud of witnesses. It's like we are in a big, massive, giant, supernatural stadium. And every eye is watching us, how we are running the race. And Paul is saying, run with endurance. You need stamina. You need strength. You need faith. You need courage. People are so lazy and so laid back and so passive and... So spineless and like, oh, it's too hard. Oh, I can't do this. Oh. Come on. Where's the endurance? Where's the strength? Where's the faith? You must, you know, stir up that faith inside of you and say, you know what? I'm going to keep going till the day of his return. Yeah, you'll have days that you're down. Yeah, you'll have days where you feel like, oh, I don't want to get up out of bed. But there are other days you say, you know, I'm going to run this race with the spirit of excellence. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus. That's the problem. If you look at yourself, you look at your situation, you look at the surroundings, you don't feel like running anymore because you're looking in the wrong direction. But when you look unto Jesus, you say, oh, he's the prize. He's the goal. He's the end point of my walk and my faith and my everything and my life. Yeah, I have the courage to run. I have the strength to run. I have the grace to run. I have the energy to run because I'm looking unto Jesus. Narcissists looking to themselves don't have any energy. They're deflated. They are sad, depressed, miserable, lonely, frustrated, angry at everybody because they're looking at themselves. That's a sure path to depression. You look at yourself night and day, you will be depressed. There's nothing good in you. What are you looking at? 
But that's the problem with the majority of the population, especially in the U.S. All a bunch of narcissists and all depressed, all taking antidepressants. Why are you depressed? Because you're looking at yourself. The Bible doesn't say to look at yourself. It says, look at your sin and say, Lord, forgive me. That's what you should do. Look at yourself, be honest with yourself, do a self-examination and say, you know what? If I really am honest with myself, I'm a shameful person. I'm a horrible individual. I haven't done one good thing for nobody. I'm a selfish, self-centered, self-idolizing person. And in this country, they, they, they celebrate that. And that's the worst state to be in. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our perfect example. He went to the cross. He's the son of God. The whole universe belongs to him. But he despised all the mocking and the shame and all the hate that came from humans to him. And he ran the race. He did his father's will. And now he's seated at the right hand side of the father on the throne of God with his father in heaven. Not because of his title or his position, but because of his walk and his obedience to his father. So we have to do the same thing. We have to run that race. 2 Timothy 1.7, the last verse and we'll close. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We must say that to ourselves every day. We are not given the spirit of fear. We are not given the spirit of depression. We are not given the spirit of, of misery and suffering. and We are not given the spirit of narcissism. We have given the spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Even before the beginning of time, this was ordained for you. Think about that. For His purpose, for His grace, for His calling. It's for Christ Jesus. It's not just for you in your little world, in your little bubble. Verse 10. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We are inheritors of light, the inheritors of immortality, the inheritors of eternal life through the revealing and the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. That is our holy calling. It is His purpose to reveal Christ in us to the world. That's your holy calling, to glorify Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's not me in me, the hope of glory. Me, 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 me. That's idolatry. So if you're doing that, break that wicked, evil sin and transgression of your life. Bring it before God and say, Lord, break this self-centeredness and this selfishness and self-idolatry. Because I will go to hell if I keep doing this over and over again. We are called to glorify Christ in us for His glory, for His purpose. That's the gospel. It's not what can I get from God and how can I benefit from God and my best life now and my whatever I demand from God and I should get it. That is not the gospel. That's your own narcissism speaking. That's your selfishness talking. And you're bringing that to God. Now turn it around and say, here, this is my selfishness, Lord. Forgive me. Because this is how I was living my life. And I don't want to live like that anymore. 
Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. Today. Don't mess it up. So if you are blessed by this message, leave a comment. If you have a prayer request, leave it in the comment section and we will pray for you. And we know that you are going through situations. We know how it is. It's difficult. But we can do it all through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you for listening and apply this message to your life. We are coming to the end of the age. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.